God's mercy and peace to you today. I pray that they certainly find you as you are hearing this message. We at Christ Lutheran are going through the story. We are in chapter 2. Uh, the story is the chronological version of the Bible, omitting a couple of chapters here and there uh, to make it a little bit more condensed so that we can get through it. Of course, all of the Bible is important. We're just trying to capture the big story, though. Uh, chapter 2 covers Genesis 12 through roughly Genesis uh, 35 as we see God taking a maybe different direction than perhaps you and I might take if we were writing the story. Uh, but that's okay. In fact, we're glad that God takes a different direction because his ways are certainly better than our ways. Uh, but speaking of direction, I heard about a group of inmates in a jail in Mexico. I don't know where the officers were when this was going on, but uh, they found themselves able to burrow a tunnel from some of the cells uh, and go in a particular direction. There was someone in charge. They knew where they were going, apparently. And uh, they dug themselves, sure, right out from underneath the jail cells into freedom. At least that's what they thought. But the one who was in charge had some, well, bad direction. Or maybe good direction. Uh, they burrowed a, a tunnel right into the courtroom of the judge that sentenced many of them. Wow, talk about your bad luck, right? Uh, and that judge was happy to give them a free ride back to their cells and even extended their stay just a little bit longer. Ah, uh, directions. They are important. And if you know me, you know, yeah, I don't have... The best sense of direction. I love my GPS and I use it all the time. But you know what? I found that, yes, I don't have the best sense of direction, but I also, I'm not always given the best directions. Do you have people that do that? They give you a direction, whether it's to a home or to a business. It seems like they sometimes miss some of the critical turns. They think they're giving you the complete directions, but Maybe they're off just a little bit or, or not as detailed as, as maybe they're remembering in their mind. You know, hey, take a left at the fork in the road and about the second right, you'll see the really big rock. Not the medium rock, but a big rock. You're going to go right there, maybe quarter of a mile, maybe three quarters of a mile. And it ends up being like two and a half miles down the road. And then you're going to make the second left. Or is it the first left? Or you're going to make one of the lefts. There's going to be a big pond by it. Not the small one, the big one. And you're like, come on, just give me the address. Give me the address. I'll put Put it in my GPS and, and I'll get there, right? And that's exactly what you need. You need the good directions, the GPS kind of directions. And when you get there, they ask you, so how are my directions? And you're thinking to yourself, they're good because you gave me the address, right? You got to have those good directions. Well, what's God doing? What direction is he taking us in Genesis? You see, this is important because really we've already seen in chapter one, the story that, that things have, have fallen. The course of mankind isn't a good course. God created everything. It was good. He created mankind. It was very good. Uh, creation is absolutely perfect, but mankind took it in a tumbling direction. Then God sent the waters, right, to flood the earth, the story of Noah and puts the beautiful covenant in the sky. The bow is in the sky. And he says, this is going to be a reminder. I'm never going to do this again. 
God's going to love his people. He's not going to drown all of creation again. There's such devastation. There's just one problem, though, that as soon as the floodwaters recede, we see Noah in his drunken state and his son, Ham, who disrespectfully uh, treats Noah. He doesn't cover Noah up. But he goes and tells everybody else uh, about it. And then those two brothers will uh, kind of come and cover Noah. And as a result, Noah's going to curse Ham for the way that he treated him. So we see even still very quickly after the flood that there's already going to be some friction. There's going to be some effects of living in a sinful world amongst this family. So even though God starts over, couldn't erase the sin. It's there, right? It's still within the bloodline of mankind, and it's going to continue to multiply, continue to increase. So what's God going to do? Well, he's going to start something new. He's going to create a people, his family that he's going to use, and he's going to be their God, and they're going to be his people. So let me ask you a question then. We're talking about direction. If you're going to begin a new direction, right, with a group of individuals, who are you going to choose? Would you choose Abram? I mean, most of us would probably say no. Why? Well, you know, we would probably choose the the young guy, the young buck, the one that's strong, the one that might have a lot of stamina, the one that might be able to endure the journey that God is going to bring him on. But God's choosing a 75-year-old individual. I mean, really? Now, come on now. I know some of you out there, maybe 75 years of age or close to it, a little bit younger, a little bit older. It's not that those individuals who are 75 can't do things. No, God can use everybody, absolutely. But would choose a 75-year-old individual to begin a nation. I'm 38 years old, and this sounds like too big of a job for me, right? I I would choose somebody younger. Somebody 75, no, I think we'd all agree. It just sounds exhausting. That sounds like a difficult job. This would require an individual who's strong and, and young, the best of the best. That's who we would choose. But see, that's not who God chooses, He chooses a 75-year-old man. But not only is this individual 75 years old, that's what's kind of crazy about this, is that his wife is barren. They don't have children. So it's not like we have this individual who has a lot of kids and the lineage is going to kind of go through them and Abram at 75 is going to lead. No, it's really worse than that. He's taken this older, barren couple And so as we're looking at this, we're thinking, man, God, if this is going to be your story, this is going to be a really short story. How's it going to progress? It seems like it's DOA, dead on arrival. This is going to be quick. But see, that's that's not how God works. We're finding this early in the story, and it's good that we do. Because this is how God is going to operate throughout the rest of the scripture. God isn't going to choose individuals based upon human understanding. God's going to choose who he wants to choose. And it's very simple because as he does it, we're going to see that God's the one that's going to receive the glory. We're going to look at this and think, man, only God could do this. And that's the point. Because as we see God working graciously through these people, as we see God faithfully working through his people, we're going to see how great God is. Now, I don't know about you, but that just screams gospel and good news to me. It means that it doesn't matter your age. 
God can use you. Doesn't matter if you're old or young. God can use you. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. God can use you. It doesn't matter if you're steeped in depression. God can use you because there's not, uh, the, the word impossible isn't in God's vocabulary. Anything, everything, all things are possible with God. He can do whatever he wants. There is no limitation. And here with Abraham, this is just the beginning. How God is going to use an individual who's 75 years old and call them, and he's going to be 100 when finally Isaac comes. There's no reason, Sarah laughs. We see the reason right there. I mean, God really used me at this age? Yes. This shows that God is the one who is orchestrating all of this. But at the same time, we still are going to question God's direction, not just really because of the age, but we see in this chapter, God uses some interesting people. Maybe we'll say God uses a peculiar people. You know, I do some pre-marriage counseling with some young individuals, and I always tell them, family matters. You are marrying into a family. <laughs> and you know that things are getting serious between the man and the woman when they start introducing that significant other to the extended family. I mean, the actual immediate family, it's pretty quick, right? Here's my mom, my dad, uh, brothers, sisters, so on and so forth. But once you start getting into the extended family, that's, that's when you know they're getting serious because, hey, this is going to be their family too. And you know, at some point you're going to have to introduce them. And, and the reason why you know this is getting serious and this is kind of tough sometimes is because there's always that crazy aunt or uncle there's always that extreme individual that, that maybe you don't want to introduce them and you, you got to prep them for it. And I don't know, maybe some of you listening, you are that crazy aunt and uncle. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not naming names. But my guess is you know what I'm talking about. There's that uncle where, well, let me prep you for him. This, this is what you got to know about him. Dress is kind of funny. <laughs> Or he takes his politics a little too seriously. Don't talk about this with that individual. Especially when my other cousin is an earshot away. They don't don't get along when it comes to these things. So you need to know kind of which side of the aisle they're on so that you know how to talk to them and how to to talk through a situation. I'm just trying to, to, to prepare you. Now, why am I bringing this up? I want to be honest. This lineage here that we're introduced to in this chapter, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are that family. Now, yes, believe me, I I know I have great things to say about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The fact that Abraham got up and went, I mean, come on. At at his age, to, to do what God has called him to do, that takes a lot of great faith. But what can I say? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're not perfect. They're not. In fact, they're far from it. In fact, it says in the book of Joshua that before Abraham was called, that Abraham was what? Worshiping false idols on the other side of the river. God called an idol worshiper. He's going to start this covenant, make this covenant with him. It gets worse than that. 
just after the calling, when he's supposed to trust God, right? Leave everything and follow God. He gets worried. He gets scared. His lack of trust is evident. When wandering through Egypt, uh, the princes of Egypt say that they notice the beauty of Sarai, Abram's wife. What does Abram say? Hey, pretend you're my sister because I don't want them to kill me for your sake. You're a beautiful woman. They may see me and, and kill me so that they can take you to be a part of their family. So just say that you are my sister so that they can look well upon me. That's exactly what they do. And so what does Pharaoh do? <laughs> he, he takes uh, Abram's now supposed sister's actual wife, Sarai, and, and, and takes her into his chamber. You know what this means, right? His chamber, if you don't know what this means, find somebody and ask them. I don't know who's listening. There could be children listening to this podcast. I don't know. Uh, but you can use your imagination. And Abraham's willing to to let his wife go through with this, to, to let her go into this. I don't know what's worse about this. The fact that, that Abraham is willing to let his wife go into the chamber of another man or the fact that she's willing to do this. And and the thing is, this isn't the only time this happens. It happens with Abimelech as well. Abimelech in chapter 20, the same thing. He says to her, pretend you're my sister. Thankfully, God is watching over this whole situation and steps in before it can happen. I mean, what kind of people is God calling here? This is Abraham. You know, Isaac and Jacob too. I mean, look at the story here of this family. It's kind of strange. The fact that Isaac has a favorite son and it's not Jacob. (laughs) The the fact that uh, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, has a favorite child and it's not Esau. They're fighting over who's really going to get this blessing. They, They underhandedly, Rebecca will get Jacob to have the blessing. The fact that Esau sells his birthright. I mean, that's pretty important. Sells his birthright for some stew. I mean, even I know how to make some stew if I'm that hungry or I can throw a frozen pizza in the oven. I'm not a cook. I'm not a chef, but I'm not going to sell away my birthright, this blessing, because I'm that hungry. This is strange. This is a strange family. And after stealing the birthright, what does this individual do? Esau, he, he goes after his brother. He says, I'm going to kill you as soon as I'm done mourning my father. Jacob runs away. He goes to Laban's house and he finds a, a daughter that he loves, right? Rachel. He's going to marry her. But he's duped into marrying Leah first. I mean, who doesn't know who they're marrying? <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. This is peculiar. But then he goes through with it. He he not only marries Leah, it's too late, but then he still will marry Rachel, his sister, or Rachel's sister, excuse me. So he's he's married both sisters. Who thinks this is a good idea? Everybody knows you can't serve two masters, right? <laughs> I mean, this whole thing, this is this is odd. God, you're choosing these individuals? This is going to be the lineage that you're choosing, you're going to do your miraculous work, your redeeming work through people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, who should he choose? Who should God choose? 
People like you and me? No. We chase after the false gods too. And we should know better. (laughs) Things that are shiny, things that grab our attention, that's what we worship. By worship, I mean that's what we put our trust in. If we just have more of this or that, then we're going to be taken care of. We argue with our in-laws or maybe our family members. We don't always resolve the conflicts. In fact, we won't resolve the conflicts. We'll allow for death to separate us forever. We're a peculiar people. We don't do what's right. We don't follow God's commandments. We, we want to trust in ourselves. We, we worry about every little thing. I mean, who should God start over with? Should God start over with us? No, he shouldn't. But isn't that the amazing thing about his grace? Is that he does. He starts over with us every single time we wake up in the morning and we confess our sins to him and say, good morning, Lord. And and what do we know? He hears our confession and he actually forgives us. He starts over with us when we come to church and we say, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Renew us purify us, and we go to the Lord's Supper to receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and we know that he's there and he actually does forgive us, and he offers us this grace at his table. He offers us the baptismal font that was there for us. He claimed us in that baptismal font, knowing full well that we were going to make mistakes. God chooses us. That's what's amazing about this story is that God sees this lineage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is going to choose to enter into it. That's why Jesus comes, and he doesn't just come with the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you follow the lineage of Jesus, as we're going to do throughout the story, and we're going to see all kinds of interesting characters, aren't we? All kinds of individuals where you think, man, God, would you really want these individuals in your lineage? You choose to have a prostitute and a foreigner and so on and so forth. And yes, God jumps right in. Because these aren't just individuals. You're not just an individual. You're one that he loves. He wants a relationship with his creation. And yeah, it gets bad. We're filled with shame. We're filled with grief. We're filled with heartache. But he wants to take all that on himself, which is exactly what Jesus is going to do. As he takes our shame, as he takes our grief, as he takes our pain, our own insecurities, our inadequacies, our sinfulness, and he bears it on the cross and kills it in the grave only to rise up from that grave situation and give us the victory. It's amazing that God would start over with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that God would start over with us each and every day. But that is the beautiful understanding of this story in chapter 2. It's going to take an interesting turn. As God would choose Abraham, but he chooses people like us to do his great work. But see, what's very interesting about this is that he doesn't leave Abraham where he is. But Abraham's going to grow in the faith. And so will Isaac. And so will Jacob. 
And so will you. As you continue in his word, hearing his promises, studying, I know and pray that God will continue to use you in your place. That whatever it is he's calling you, wherever, whatever the journey is, wherever he is leading you, whether it's across the world in the mission field or just down the road to your place of work, God is going to be seen as he works through you in your everyday situations. God's peace to you as you continue to see God at work. God's blessings to you. I hope we see you at midweek. Uh, And uh, if not, I look forward to seeing you for chapter three. God's peace.